When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. We're wasting no time. Bill, what is the question we've been delaying for four weeks about Braxton Miller and JT Barrett that we're getting to right now in the first 21 seconds of the podcast? Oh, my God. i got to find it. I wasn't ready for that. Landis, I'm trying to be more straightforward and waste less time. People thought that my absence last week led to less wasting of time and more straightforward talk, and I want to get right to it. The people want straightforward talk. Let's get to it. I like wasting time. (laughs) <laughs> okay. The question uh, from May 22nd. From May 22nd. From Nathan Kopp. Our guy. Will Braxton Miller or JT Barrett's legacy be better at Ohio State? Braxton Miller. Tim, what's your answer? I would say JT. Bill, what's your answer? Cardell Jones. All right, next question. Um, <laughs> wow, what a fascinating question. This is Buckeye Talk. Bill Landis, Tim Bielek, Doug Lamarie. It's your Ohio State coverage team from Cleveland.com. Thanks, you guys, for listening. We'll get to all the usual shenanigans later. But we've owed you this. What day is it? It's June 11th. We're recording. And that was from May 22nd? Yep. Okay, so not quite a month. We didn't get to a month in delaying that question. Fascinating question from Nathan Kopp because it goes to um, legacy and legacy as it relates to records, legacy as it relates to winning, and legacy to me as it relates to like the feeling you get in your heart and in your soul when you think about somebody. And that is something that's not based entirely, at least, on winning and records. And so when we think – part of legacy is storytelling. Do you guys agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. And, and to me, like when I always talk about like Hall of Fame stuff and that kind of thing and all-time stuff, I always talk about can you tell the story of the sport without this person? Or if someone said, Grandpa – Tell me the story of Ohio State football. How would that person work into that story? And I don't think when you tell a story, the first thing you do isn't like go to the record books and say, well, this person Mm -hmm. is the third all-time leading pass. You know what I mean? Like, that's a chunk of it, but that's not really what you do when you tell a story. You don't immediately like open the, I was going to say open the encyclopedia. People don't own encyclopedia. Wait, 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 that's a tangent. People don't own encyclopedias anymore. I think when you're telling a story, you would be more apt to tell a Braxton Miller story when you're telling the story of Ohio State football. Now, of course, you tell JT Barrett stories, but maybe wouldn't you tell a Braxton Miller story first? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Like, just... 
because you start thinking about like the the exciting moments you saw, like individual plays, and I think that Braxton Miller has far more of those than, than JT Barrett. Although, who played in more sort of iconic games, JT or Brad? Because maybe you think about the game first. Yeah, I mean, I mean, JT did. I mean, JT is the guy who was four zero against Michigan. JT is the guy who led that Penn State miraculous comeback. JT is the guy who led the revenge game at Michigan State that we talked about all the time with JT, what they did in 2014 that catapulted that season, and JT Barrett in that game made the best throws he made in his life. Um, I think it's easy in a conversation like this to also short shrift JT Barrett in terms of being an exciting, dynamic player, because he also was that. Like, nobody, almost nobody, is Braxton Miller Mm -hmm. in terms of, like, individual highlights and individual moments. But JT Barrett also did spectacular things. He wasn't just a stats robot, but yet I still think your natural inclination as an Ohio State fan would be to tell a Braxton Miller story first. I don't know. I think I changed my mind now. Because I I do think you tend to think of the games first before you think of the individual plays. And I don't like, sh- other than the national championship win, or like the, the Sugar Bowl in the, in the championship combined, or that three game run, whatever. Um, I think like, Maybe the game that jumps to the front of people's minds more than any other one in the last, I don't know, six years we're talking about these two guys is the 2016 Michigan game, right? Maybe there's, there's a couple in that conversation, but that 2016 Michigan game, they go to overtime, the spot, the comeback they had to have in the fourth quarter, all that stuff. like, And that was largely, if not solely, fueled by JT at the end of that yep. game. Yep. So, I don't know. I think... I think, and and he's fresher in their minds too. So, like, if we're having this conversation now. If that matters, having this conversation fifteen years from now, I still think the twenty sixteen Michigan game might be the first thing that jumps in the person's mind when they're thinking about these two guys or this era of Ohio State football. Right. The urban, and it is. It's interesting because this is this is the urban era. Mm-hmm. This is the the because you know I mean Braxton played as a freshman in two thousand eleven, but but. JT is all about Urban, and Braxton, at his best, carried the first two years of the Urban era. So it's 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 something that is going to be talked about because, obviously, the Urban Meyer era, however long it lasts, is going to be an absolutely iconic, memorable, all-time era in Ohio State football. Um, and those two guys were the quarterbacks at the start of it. So where do you where do you weigh in on this, Tim? I would say the reason I put would put JT over Braxton is I I want to look back to 2014 the way that season began and you guys were there obviously for the start of it and Braxton Miller being out in August JT Barrett taking over I'm sure no one would have thought they would have played and played for and won a national championship and in some ways JT Barrett saved that season particularly you know with what he did at Penn State in the overtime playing I believe a sprained MCL in overtime and rushing for a couple overtime touchdowns. I know Joey Bosa had the sack where he pushed Akil Lynch right into Christian Hackenberg to end the game, but JT had those couple rushing touchdowns put away. Michigan State was his statement game. He didn't obviously win them the national championship, but he set, helped set the stage for Cardell Jones to finish the job. And then I look at Braxton Miller. I mean, his dynamics are incredible. I don't know if I've ever seen a more dynamic player quarterback outside of Troll Pryor than Braxton Miller. It's kind of interesting the dynamics go from Pryor to Miller mm-hmm. back to back, but... I think when it came down to Braxton, the thing that might hurt him a little bit, and you guys, you might be able to weigh in this better than better than I will, is kind of the Michigan State game in 2013 when it seemed like 
they just weren't able to they weren't able to get over that hump and finish that game off because if, if they did they were going to play I believe Florida State for the national championship that yep. season that didn't happen and then then all that stuff at the Orange Bowl with the shoulder injury to Braxton happens and he doesn't really ever throw the football again JT gets you to a national championship he wins you another Big Ten title and he and I know twenty he gets you to the playoff in twenty sixteen and he wins you a New Year's Six Bowl there's there's a lot there to unpack with Barrett. Yeah, I don't the the postseason for both these guys is interesting. Yep. Right? There's like unfinished business for both JT did win a Big Ten championship, and we've had this conversation before about what matters more. Like the the idea that JT didn't win a national championship and wasn't great in the only playoff game he played, I think far outweighs the Big Ten title they won this past season with him at quarterback. And then Braxton, like you said, the machine like both these guys I think were quarterbacks who are Individually capable of winning national championships on teams who are capable of winning national championships and both came up short. Right. And I think that's like an interesting piece of this conversation. And I don't know, like, I think both of those things negatively impact their legacies. I just don't know who it negatively impacts more. I mean, it is, it is funny to think about that, um, that Braxton Miller is, did not win a postseason game. Yeah, he's what? As a quarterback. 0 oh, 3? Yeah. Yeah. His so freshman year, they lost the Gator Bowl. 2012, they didn't go to the postseason. And 2013, they lost the Big Ten Championship game and they lost the Orange Bowl to Clemson. Did not win a postseason game as a quarterback. Yeah. So, and again, it's like JT didn't win a game in 2014. What happened in 2015? They beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. Beat Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. Lost to Clemson. 2016, didn't play in the Big Ten Championship, lost to Clemson. So he's 1-1. One 1-1. And, one. One and, one, and then won the Big Ten Championship and won the Cotton Bowl. So 3-1. Yeah. So 3-1. So JT, 3-1 postseason. Braxton, 0-3 postseason. Which is just one little thing in that. Yeah. Here's, here's a difference, I think. And I'm going to relate it to uh, television. But it's still a football point, so it's not a tangent. <laughs> they always talk about, and this is in life, but like the idea of like leave them wanting more, right? Braxton's career, not by choice, but by circumstance, did leave you wanting more because he did not max out because of the injury in the Orange Bowl that kept him from ever playing quarterback again. Now, most, and this is, this is I think, going to be an interesting point. I hope this is interesting. Most of the greatest Ohio State players do leave you wanting more because they leave eligibility on the table because they're so great. They leave. They do not give you Four years of football. Yeah. Archie did, right? Mm -hmm. But that's it. I mean, who who else among the greatest Ohio State players? Did Spielman play four years? Now I'm gonna that sound like an idiot on the podcast. But but most do not give you, and even the greats who play a senior season, probably Spielman gave you three. Yep. 
did not play much as freshmen. Certainly not like JT did. They did not quarterback a team that eventually won the national championship as a freshman. Yeah. So Braxton Miller left you wanting more. Everything he showed you in 2012 and 2013 was suddenly cut short. You thought he was going to be the quarterback in 2014. You thought that going into camp, taken away. He comes back in 2015. There's still, maybe you think, okay, he's going to be a quarterback. It turns out he's been working at receiver all offseason. He's a receiver. They try to work him in at receiver. You can see these flashes of talent, but it never really works that year. And then he's gone to the NFL. So you're left wondering. There's some, some idea with Braxton Miller of, what he could have been. He was great, undoubtedly. He did so much. He did enough. He did more than enough. I mean, he played three years here. So he did more than enough. But he still had some sense of, oh, man. For all he did, what could have been. JT squeezed <laughs> every last drop out of that wash rag. Yeah. Wrung it out. Imagine if JT Barrett had, and this is like, we can say it, you never want to joke about injuries, but we can say it because it didn't happen. But imagine that when he hurt his leg against Michigan, his freshman year, he had never played again. It's a career-ending injury. That guy gives his body up in his first Michigan game, comes out of the locker room and sits in the stands for the end of that game, watches his team hang on and win that game, and then watches his team go on and win a national championship. And JT Barrett never plays again. What's that legacy? Uh, I don't know. Like, I certainly don't think it's stronger. Maybe, I mean, the lessons of time you sort of got to, to poke and prod JT and pick his game apart. But he accomplished a lot after that. So I don't know. I think it adds maybe a little more intrigue, and it does, I, I do think what you're saying is valid in terms of leaving them wanting more. And maybe, yeah, maybe he is revered a little more favorably because all we knew then was that JT Barrett was a freshman who threw 45 touchdowns or accounted for 45 touchdowns and had that awesome game against Michigan State and like looked like a quarterback who was going to get Ohio State to the national championship. Um, yeah. I think maybe it's a little more favorable. I mean, it's just one. It's, and this this is not this is not a unique. This is not some great argument. This is how life works. This is James Dean mm. never having a chance to like get old and make a bunch of crappy movies. This is like <laughs> Tupac is Tupac. Snoop Dogg is hosting the Joker's Wild. Yeah, you know, like, and Ice Cube is making like family friendly kids movies, right? And it doesn't it doesn't mean those guys aren't great artists, and it doesn't take away from what they did at their peak as great artists, but you have the chance to have the run of your career. And you just you just don't fire on all cylinders for your I mean, few yeah. do, right? Yeah. So so I mean like and I'm not I mean like I don't know what the hell I'm talking about with like but but I think, no, I think just, those are good those but, are good analysis. But like I mean what if Tupac was hosting the Joker's Wild? He wouldn't exactly be Tupac, right? <laughs> Is yeah. that not? I mean, I'm, yeah, not, no, I'm no. not trying to like disparage no, I, anybody. I think I think you're on the right path. I think you're right. Snoop Dogg does a commercial for hair product now to like not be bald. 
There's like a thing where Snoop Dogg has his, his, his like an emoji on the screen, and he's like doing a commercial on being Snoop Dogg, and then you realize at the end it's like for a Rogaine knockoff. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's like, what? But it's because he's stuck around. Now, of course, it's great that he's stuck around. He's been part of culture and society for decades. Yeah. Um, and JT Barrett was part of Ohio State football for four years, which was long enough for people to get sick of him. Because yeah. he had his chance in the end to make a Rogaine commercial. And if he had broken his leg <laughs> to the degree as a freshman that he had never played again, you would have been like, now, of course, he. I'm not saying he only made a Rogaine. He did amazing things. He's 4-0 against Michigan. And I think that's the one thing, I think, in the end. Because I remember when Troy Smith became the first quarterback to go 3-0 against Michigan since Tippy Die, mm -hmm. And it was like, whoa. And people talk about Tippy Dot. JT's 4-0 against Michigan. That is ridiculous. Yeah, and I think it's possible it never happens again, right? If, and it's not going to be broken. It's For only sure. going to be... It can't be yeah. broken. It can't be broken. So, so, like, that is amazing. And very well, again, because it's a unique thing of... Usually, if you're good enough to play as a freshman, you're good enough to leave before you're a senior. Right. You have to hit a pretty interesting sweet spot to play that early and stick around. So, I do think... JT Barrett. But even 4-0 against Michigan comes with an asterisk in a lot of people, I think in some people's minds. Because of, like, the spot? Or no, because, like, they were winning when he got hurt right. in 14, but he oh, didn't yeah. close that game. And then and they were losing, losing when he got hurt last year, and yeah. then Dwayne Haskins finished that game off. So, yeah. like, technically he's still 4-0. I'll give him credit for being 4-0, but I think you can nitpick that, too. No, it is. It is, because he stuck around. And this, he stuck around long enough to get nitpicked. And I feel like Braxton didn't. Not as a quarterback. Not as a quarterback. Yeah. And then once, what happened in 15, a lot of it was like not his fault. It was just. They didn't know their, what to do with him. They didn't know what yeah. to do. Their inability to how to use him. Um, so, so you don't have a lot, but you still remember. I mean, you remember the crazy juke move at the goal line against Penn State, yeah. right? And you remember the spin move against uh, Virginia Tech in 15. Um, and you. He was really good in that game. I, I, for like, I randomly watched Virginia Tech game, and from the fifteen opener, like you did two or three weeks ago. I don't know why. I can't remember why I watched it. I might have just like fell down a YouTube hole. Like he was like, if you and I think I might have wrote the story. Like I was like, oh man, Braxton Miller is going to be like a top ten receiver in the country based off this game alone. He was awesome in that game. And then why couldn't they figure out what to do with him then? I don't know. Well, I, part of what's interesting with Braxton to me is I, I was thinking about it. his first two seasons as a starter, 2011. We all know just what everything that went wrong with that. He probably wasn't even supposed to be the starter at that point. Oh, no, yeah. Terrell and, Pryor's supposed to be the starter. Yeah, and then he takes over pretty much zero expectations. He did have that tremendous moment in the Wisconsin game and, with that touchdown to Devin Smith. And again, that, that's a top five Braxton moment that is going to stick in the minds of Ohio State fans forever. Yeah, and then you go to 2012, a season where they're not going to make a bowl game again, maybe. Maybe there's not as much pressure on him because there's nowhere to go after the regular season. 2013, you get to you get to that Big Ten title game again. You're undefeated. Urban Meyer still hasn't lost. Biggest game of Brax's career, and you know things obviously didn't go well for him in Ohio State. That fourth down stop and kind of ended that national championship dream. Then the Clemson game, outdul Taj Boyd outduels him, and then that shoulder injury that we all know what happened to him. So, I mean. It's the ultimate question: What his legacy would be like if he was the starting quarterback in twenty fourteen? Do they still yeah. do, do they still win the national championship that season? Because if he gets hurt that season, 
JT Barrett's probably your number two, and does he do the things in the playoff games that Cardell Jones did? I will say, now that I think about it, and you make a good point, Tim, I distinctly remember in 2014 continually making the point that they would have been doing the same thing with Braxton Miller and getting some pushback on that. That some people believe that JT Barrett was like the ideal point guard for that team, running the zone read, distributing the ball, and that Braxton Miller, I thought Braxton Miller very, boy, this is interesting. I thought he very quickly got forgotten in 2014 for as spectacular as he was in 2012 and 13. I thought people very quickly moved on to like, JT's the guy. And like, it was like, you know, Braxton Miller, like is still over here hurt, but he's not going anywhere. Like he's supposed to be back and everybody's all in on like, can this team after the early loss make a late push and somehow get in the playoff? And people were falling in love with that team and they were falling. Boy, it's interesting. They were falling in love with (laughs) JT and I think forgetting Braxton. I absolutely now are. I, I, yeah, I fought that. that battle all year of he would be doing the same thing, if not more, with the realization that, yes, JT ran the zone read better. Braxton wasn't as natural within that. But I think the structure of that offense with the playmakers they had around him in the third year of that coaching staff, the third year of Urban Meyer and Tom Herman, they would have grown to the point where the offense was ready, had grown up as well as the quarterback. And so JT stepped into a fully formed Urban Meyer, Tom Herman offense, while Braxton Miller was forced to run a still growing, a sapling offense for two years that wasn't the real thing. Um, So here we are saying, here I am making the case that Braxton's going to have, in some ways, a better legacy than JT Barrett when, in the moment, right after Braxton was done, people had forgotten about him and were on a JT. Oh! I guess I'm wrong. I think it's. I guess uh, I'm wrong. But that, but that was that JT. I. Th- but I think part of that point is people were more in love with JT Barrett in 2014 than they were in 2017. For sure. Yeah. Which again is to the point of if he had never played again, he would have gone down as a hero, and yeah. instead he broke every record, won practically every game, and ended up less appreciated in 2017 than he was as a first-time starter in 2014. Braxton Miller against Virginia Tech had uh, eight touches for 140 yards and two touchdowns. Two of those are really long, 50-plus-yard plays, but he was awesome. Malfeasance, right? Yeah. Malfeasance on behalf of, the, on behalf of the offensive staff. Ed Warren or t- Tim yeah. Beck and Urban Meyer yeah. in their inability to figure out how to replicate that even half yeah, of that. Over, yeah. Yeah. What was his next best game? Oh, I don't, I don't have it pulled up. Um, against Maryland that season, five receptions, 79 yards, and a touchdown. That's his second best game after his best game was eight for 150? He had three rushes for 11 yards, but yeah. that's kind of inconsequential. He, did he, he didn't have another game where he had 100 yards from scrimmage? I don't think he did. Quick math in my head, no. That's terrible. I mean, because then they fell into that Braxton Wildcat stuff. Yeah. But they were just snapping him the ball, and he never threw it, and he was running. He was dancing in the backfield and getting one yard. That was awful. Braxton the Wildcat was awful. God. We're just a, there's no threat to throw. Like, yeah. Of course it works when he can also throw it, but right midway through the season when it was evident that he was just not going to attempt to pass, it didn't work anymore. Right. Maybe before midway. Right. Um. Okay, so I had, well, I had a thing I wanted to bring up. What was it? Oh, 
I feel like Braxton's legacy, whatever it is, however people define it, is like pretty well set. And I feel like JT's can still be affected by however the Urban Meyer era ends. Meaning, like, Dwight Haskins could be the starter for three years and obliterate every record that JT Barrett has, and then the guy that comes after him can also obliterate every record that JT Barrett had because JT Barrett just sort of, like, modernized, or helped modernize Ohio State's offense. His records aren't actually that crazy when you look at the scope, like, look at it under the scope of college football. Um, and, like, if Urban wins, you know, another two national championships before whenever his time. So I, I just feel like JT can get like buried a little bit. Yeah. But Braxton, what, what Braxton has done and what he'll be remembered for, I think is set in stone a little bit. Does that make sense? Yeah. Cause Braxton's is not as reliant on numbers and places in the record book and that kind of thing. He's sort and of, he was, and, he was, and he was first to like, he ushered in the new era and I think he gets bonus points for that. Right. And JT was just like, yeah, I think it's at the moment it's not the case, but I think he can, he could potentially, Maybe, like, kind of very easily get buried. I think in my mind it comes down to the wild plays of Braxton versus the steady hand of JT, what, and what, and whichever you prefer in that case, I think. That's probably oversimplifying this debate, but I feel like those are the two camps that... No, I, I think that's right. Yeah. No, I, I think it, it, it is... It, like, if you had to, like, describe this debate in ten words, I think that's it. I think that's it. Um, acknowledging that Braxton was spectacular, but also won. Like, that would be a difference, too. Like, we're talking about Braxton's spectacular plays, but he was spectacular at times in 2011, and they were 6-7. and seven. If, they, if he had been spectacular and had, like, a losing record as a starting quarterback, that would be something different. He was spectacular, but also won. And that's also acknowledging that JT won and put up huge stats, but also could be spectacular. But I do think... Breaking it down to its core, it's the argument that you said. Um, I also think I think I I do think JT to your point, Bill. The hit the context around JT will affect his legacy. Yeah. Because I also think so. There will always be the debate of would they have won the national title in 2014 had he remained healthy. We in a previous podcast here on Buckeye Talk all predicted Ohio State to win the national title this year. If they win the national title the first year after he leaves and they won the national title when he was a freshman the minute after he got hurt and the time in between when he was the healthy starting quarterback, they didn't win the national title, that will affect his legacy to some degree, I mm-hmm. think. That like he put up these huge stats, but as the starting quarterback at the end of the season for three years, they didn't do what needed to be done. The year before, when he took them right to the edge and then got hurt, they did it. They got over the top. Cardale got him over the top. And if Dwayne Haskins gets them there this year and gets them over the top, that's going to affect how people view JT Barrett. So I think it's possible that something like that and what you talked about, the urban era, how how other quarterbacks might put up huge numbers, I think all that could negatively affect JT. However, I also think it's possible that his legacy will grow as time goes on and you will look more at all the wins. You will look at all the records. You will look back and say, oh, the Penn State comeback and the Michigan State game and the 4-0 record against Michigan. And the further you get away from should they have played Dwayne Haskins, the further you get away from, oh, this guy can't throw the deep ball. Like, that's those are discussions that are very nitty gritty in the moment discussions. And as you get 10, 20 years down the line, I don't know that the first, you know, when, when people talk positively about JT and certainly they will, 
I don't know that people are going to be like, yeah, but he couldn't throw the deep ball. Yeah, but he couldn't throw the deep ball. Yeah. Like, I, like when people talk about um, Rex Kern, you know, I've never heard anybody say, yeah, well, but but Rex Kern um, always ran out of bounds, or like, or oh, but Rex Kern, uh, you know, wasn't very accurate over the middle. Or I'm like, I'm making all those things up because I don't know that individual nitty gritty criticisms of Rex Kern because nobody says them. Because it's not the point. The point is that Rex Kern was the quarterback of the Super Softs, led the nineteen sixty eight team to the national championship, and then in nineteenth, Rex Kern is actually Rex. Rex Kern is a very good comparison for JT. The Super Softs won the national title in nineteen sixty eight, led by Rex Kern, and in nineteen sixty nine and in nineteen seventy, they were awesome and fell just short. They did not win another national title, but. When you look back on that era and that team and that talent led by Rex Kern, who is an iconic figure, Jim Tressel's favorite Buckeye, an absolute Ohio State hero, the discussion, it, you go a long way before you get to like, yeah, but they didn't win the national title when they were juniors or seniors. Yeah. Because that's not really the point. The point is they got a title. He was awesome. And it was fun to be an Ohio State fan in that era. But I don't know what people said in 1970, but I'm sure at some point in that season, somebody was like, oh, God, Rex Kern can't make this throw. Rex Kern, oh, the third quarter, they're always back, you know, the things we do, we all do as media and fans. So um, I, I, I do think, I do, but also, also, but also, 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 part of that is Ohio State went from 19 and I know 1970 is one of their weird some sort of claimed national title years but they didn't win the national title in 1970 they did not win a national title between 1968 and 2002 so all that time the context made Rex Kern even greater because for an entire generation or generation and a half of Ohio State fans Rex Kern was the last quarterback to lead them to a national title. So nobody was banging the drum on, well, they should have won two when they went 34 years without winning another one. But if they had won national titles in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s, then maybe Rex Kern wouldn't be Rex Kern. Yeah. But for 34 years, he was the last quarterback to win a national title at Ohio State. Right. And you never take that away. So let's say... Oh, this is a great topic for Ohio State fans. Let's say Ohio State doesn't win another national title for 34 years. It's 2000. That's math. 2048. God, can you imagine that? They don't win a national title until 2048. Mm. Is that possible that they could do that? Write that down. I know. What if Ohio? I mean, that's that's crazy to think about, right? That Ohio State yeah. had a 34 year gap between legitimate national titles. If they don't win a national title until 2048, JT Barrett, they're going to rename the stadium JT Barrett Stadium. <laughs> does, he, does he get a statue then? It's going yeah. to be Cardell Jones Field at JT Barrett Stadium. Exactly. Yeah. The, the statue is going to be JT Barrett and Cardell Jones hugging each other. Like, if those two guys are the last quarterbacks to bring Ohio State a national title for three decades, that changes everything. They're going to immortalize a scooter. Seriously. Cardale, yeah. JT on the scooter and Cardale. I mean, that, that, 
again, that's context. That's exactly what you were saying, Bill, yeah. about context. That, but if Dwayne Haskins leads one this year, that's different. So I do think I do think we're going to have to see what the future holds. JT Barrett is done, but his legacy is not written. Do you think? Uh, and this is that's not a major deal, and maybe it's a stupid question. Will Braxton be an Ohio State Hall of Famer? Well, everybody's an Ohio State Hall of Famer. Not everybody. Like in the Block O Hall of Fame? Yeah, like the one they did. The one, yeah, that, the one the, that Lauren Reddy's just got to yeah. into. No, I mean, like anybody who's good gets in there. Like anybody who's at a certain level. I mean, it's yeah, like, like JT definitely will be, obviously. Like you have to be like Braxton. an All American kind of level. Uh, Braxton's definitely in. Yeah. Braxton's Who gets in first? <laughs> you get five, you play five years. They're kind of on the same track because they like right. to wait until like your pro career is over, too. I'd say JT probably gets in first. Yeah, I think you're right. Maybe they'll put him in the same year. Unless unless JT is like a backup in the, in yeah. the NFL for 10 years and Braxton's done. Yeah. Not that that's like, that's not, it shouldn't be part of the distinction. Let me ask you Let me ask you this question. If we're playing that game, does Cardale get in? Oh. Because Cardale was your original answer in the first. Yeah, 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 yeah. First 18 seconds of this podcast when we got right down to business. You said Cardale Jones, jokingly, but yet there is something within there. He never lost. Uh, yeah, I, I think he certainly. They one thing they do take into consideration, which is kind of weird, is like what you do after you leave Ohio State. So if like Cardale Jones like ends up being a starter in the NFL for like a year and a half, I think that could help him. Um, he won a national title and never and he never lost in like eleven stars. I think. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, I think he'll get in eventually. Yeah, yeah. I look forward to that day. Yeah. No, it's going to be interesting because there's going to be, I mean, when you think about like that 2014 team, they're going to have a lot of guys to get in too. Like obviously Ezekiel Elliott's going to get in. Obviously Joey Bosa's going to get in. Yeah. Like obviously like Billy Price is going to get in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to think like of this early urban era, who's going to be in the Ohio State Hall of Fame? It's like, is Darren Lee going to be in? Is Darren Lee like only was a one-year starter. Like is... It's going to be interesting. Like, is Malik Hooker going to get in? I know he's not 2014, but Darren Lee's like, a two-year starter. Oh, Darren Lee was a two-year yeah. starter because they all came back in 15, yeah. right? Um, like all those guys. Like, is Michael Thomas going to get in? Like Michael, I think again going on later. Like Michael Thomas was great at Ohio State. Michael Thomas is like one of the five best receivers in the NFL yeah. and might be so for the next ten years. Mm-hmm. Like he probably should be. He probably will be. Like, is Von Bell going to be in? Is Joshua Perry going to be in? Joshua Perry, like a three-year starter, I think, let him in tackles twice. Like a great guy, great. Like, think he's going to do great things in his life on and off the field. Is he going to get in? Is Devin Smith going to get in? Is Devin Smith going to get in? Guy was a second round pick. He made some of the most incredible catches of the Urban Meyer era. It's, it's, this sounds like, this now sounds like another summer project thing. What recent Ohio, what Buckeyes of the Urban Meyer era? Ooh, well, that, that's what we should do for induction weekend. Right, they just announced yeah. who's in. Yeah, because they put a football guy in every year, but only one football guy. Right. So it's like we can you can look at. I mean, you can figure out who's going to be in. I mean, of course, Laurinaitis was going to be in. Like Malcolm Jenkins is going to be in, but Malcolm Jenkins is still playing. Um, but who are the guys of the urban era that are going to get in? And then there gets to be just like in the NFL Hall of Fame, there gets to be like a backlog. And it's like, well, yeah, it's like, okay, well, maybe Cardale Jones should be in. But are you going to put him in before you put in 
Ezekiel Elliott and Joey Bosa and Billy Price. Or maybe he would get in because maybe his NFL career wouldn't be as long. I don't know. Now we should do that. I also I, I want to now have a conversation about Urban Meyer era players who could get into the College Football Hall of Fame. Okay. Can we break this down? <laughs> <laughs> Urban era Hall of Famers. People love that kind of stuff. We'll write it. Urban era Hall of Famers summer project. Um. I didn't realize you had to be a first-team All-American to be to get into the College Football Hall of Fame. It's part of the criteria. Oh, yeah. I guess it makes sense, because then it helps narrow the field. But, like, I was just reading about it online. Like, Braxton so won't ever be in. But, like, Joe Montana's not in, because he was never a first-team All-American. Okay. Right. And Nick Bosa, since he was a first-teamer that last season, already is eligible to get in. Right. And it is. It's hard. It's weird. That like, like, quarterback, it's like... Every year in college football, 10 of the 20 most famous players in college football or 10 of the 15 most famous are quarterbacks. Yeah. But only one of them, and maybe if it's on different teams, maybe two or three, if it's really close, can all be All-Americans. But, you know, like Johnny Manziel was a first-team All-American and Joe Montana is not. So Johnny Manziel is going to be in the College Football Hall of Fame and Joe Montana isn't. Yeah. So, but and like Braxton Miller was never a first-team All-American because he wasn't. He was a quarterback who was more than a quarterback, but also wasn't quite a quarterback when you compare him to guys who throw for 350 yards per game. So he was never going to be that. But, like, again, if you're telling the story of college football, but maybe you want Braxton Miller in there, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So, okay. That's interesting. Let's. We give our, we give what, our answer. What was our answer? What was the question? Oh. Who will have the better, will have the better legacy? Sometimes I like to talk out something without ever answering it. Yeah. 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 Way I, to pin us all down. I'm <laughs> curious what uh, the, the readers and listeners think. Yeah. So I think there are definitely people who are like, you guys are idiots. The answer is obviously JT because he has 9 million records. Right. So is this the poll? Tim, explain the thing you're doing off every podcast now. Well, what we're doing, we started this last week when I asked people on Thursday, I'm going to pull the poll up right now. <laughs> Bill and I talked recruiting last week on Buckeye Talk, and then the day after it came out of the poll asking people what they thought the biggest need in Ohio State's recruiting class for 2019 was. Number one by far is offensive line. I got about 46% followed by quarterback, wide receiver. And then I had another option where people had some interesting responses. Someone said fallback was a need. Someone mm -hmm. said long snapper. Someone else said field goal kicker. Mm -hmm. So we're going to do one of these every week. Uh, look for every Thursday morning after Buckeye Talk. I'm gonna pull, we're going to pull a topic out of the podcast. It may not necessarily be the main topic like it will be this week, but look for something that you'll have a chance to vote on. You know, get make cast your vote, comment in our our comment section in the post, and every week we'll all read off the results. So is this definitely going to be the poll this week? Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So we have to vote because the readers are going to have to click a little poll button and there's not going to be a button for kind of both. I, or I don't know. You're going to have two choices, Braxton or JT. That's it. If you don't know, you don't get to vote. Yes. So what's our answer? What little button would we click? I'd click JT. I'm also taking JT. Are you, as you're clicking JT, are you doing so without hesitation? Or is there some part of you that's like, well, or it's like, no, of course it's JT. Yeah, I think, because 
I think as you're go, go, going to click the button, like, like who do you think's better? Like, I think clearly Braxton Miller's a better football player, but that's not the question. So I think I I click JT with a good amount of confidence. I admit when we were getting ready to do this, I thought about you know overnight, kind of going into the morning, who I would pick, and I kind about just as we sat down, I kind of thought pick JT by a hair. It's close. Okay. So you're close. Okay, it's close, but. I think JT, with his postseason accolades, has done just enough to edge Braxton. Urban Meyer has made the point repeatedly that without Braxton Miller, they would have been dead when he got here. That they had, especially in 2012, and they were sort of getting it together in 2013. But they went 12-0 in 2012 with basically no offense, the way Urban Meyer tells it. They did not... He called the receivers a clown show, like they didn't know what they were doing, and they just gave the ball to Braxton Miller and said, here, go do something. And they went 12-0. and They went 12-0. and The year after, they went 6-7. and They went 12-0 and under the cloud of a bowl ban that had nothing to do with Urban Meyer or Braxton Miller or any of the guys on that team. They went 12-0. and at a time when it was very possible for the Ohio State football program to be teetering on the brink of, of these NCAA violations, this bowl ban, the minor recruiting sanctions they had, is going to knock this program back. Not forever, but for a little bit, Ohio State's not going to be Ohio State. And they went 12-0. and 0. And if they had had, if JT Barrett had been the quarterback that year, I don't think they would have gone twelve and zero. I don't know that there's many quarterbacks in recent college football history who could have could have gone twelve and zero that team. He he that year he was the exact right guy for that situation, for what the rest of the roster looked like, for what the offensive coaches wanted to do or were trying to figure out what to do, for what the Big Ten was at that time. He was different. He was unique. And he saved them. Braxton, Urban Meyer saved Ohio State football. That's the title of the stage play that I'm working on. (laughs) Coming to your local community theater. Urban Meyer saved Ohio State football is the title of the play. But you know who the star is? The star is Braxton Miller. Yeah. He's on stage every minute. He has a ton of lines. It's practically a one-man show. The title is Urban Meyer Saved Ohio State Football. It's practically a one-man show about Braxton Miller. So I think there's a Braxton Miller argument. It depends. All of this legacy stuff, every discussion with legacy, and I think legacy discussions can at the same time be fun and interesting and also incredibly annoying and beside the point. And this relates to LeBron and the MJ and all the stuff that people always want to talk about with legacy. Who's better, who's not, ranking, all this stuff. It's like, everybody's great. They're all great, and they're great in different ways. But since we like to rank, and ranking's fine, I absolutely think you can make a case for Braxton. But I think right now, it's hard to vote against JT, but get back to me when Dwayne Haskins leads Ohio State to a national title this year, and I might change my answer. So for now, I'll click JT. But depending what the 2018 football season looks like, a year from now I might click Braxton. And when we're talking about legacy, that's really what we mean. Yep. Legacy now, 
won't be the same as Legacy five years from now or the same as Legacy 20 years from now. So right now I think JT's Legacy is better, but I think it's very possible that in the annals of Ohio State football, let me ask you this question. When you Is Ted Ginn Jr. the leading receiver in the history of Ohio State football? Not even close. No. no. But Ted Ginn Jr. is a guy that you'll always tell stories about. Ted Ginn Jr. is a guy who was unlike anyone else. Ted Ginn Jr. is a guy that if he had decided to stick around, and if he had maybe played in a different offense, could have put... The individual things he did, the talent he had, the way he played the game, Ted Ginn's legacy at Ohio State is unlike anybody. And I think Braxton is like that. And I'm not going to the record books for that. I'm not going to the record books to see where Ted Ginn ranks in all-time receiving yards compared to Joey Galloway and Santonio Holmes and Michael Thomas and Devin Smith and everybody else we want to talk about. I'm talking about the Ted Ginn Jr. you saw on the field, the things he did that that go beyond compiling stats. So I think that's that's a, that's the Braxton case, and um, it's just that at the moment he's up against in this equation he's up against a guy who who set every record in the book. I don't mean to take take this into a tangent, but in a weird way, I feel like Ted Ginn and Braxton Miller are almost in the same kind of legacy because you think about it. Ted Ginn's college career ended the same way Braxton Miller's quarterbacking career ended on an injury because yep. we all remember Ted Ginn had that kickoff return to start the game against Florida in the national championship game. Then he gets hurt. I believe it was Antonio Smith that stepped on his ankle and ended his game. Roy Hall. Roy Hall. I got, I'm getting my guys confused from 06. But, Sorry. But in a way, it's the same thing because Ted Ginn was electrifying. We all remember what he did as a punt returner. We all remember what he did, you know, it, I believe he took some snaps from shotgun at one point or some weird trick formation. I don't mm-hmm. know, but he was a different kind of receiver. I thought was ahead of his time mm-hmm. and you would have want. I think that'll be one of the ultimate Ohio State. What ifs? what if he doesn't get hurt on that kickoff return against Florida? I don't know if they win, but that game could have been very different if Ted Ginn was healthy and we could have the same question of what 2014 is like if Braxton Miller doesn't get hurt in the Orange Bowl and then has the subsequent injury in the summer that knocks him out of that season. Which, again, all goes back to the what-ifs. I think most of the time, if you are great and you leave them dangling on a what-if, it adds to your legacy. Yep. All right, what do we got? We want to do – do we want to do the uh, – so uh, so my understanding, and I, and I will admit, I wasn't here last week. I did not have a chance to listen to the podcast yet uh, that, that you two did last week, but I understand we got a one-star review – Based on my tangents. Yep. We also got a four-star review because the person who gave four stars doesn't like you. Really? And he's just, it, this guy's a pastor, too. A pastor doesn't like me? Pastor Mike Hauser. Oh, I know that guy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, I missed that. So you read that? What did he say about me? He said, I have to listen to these podcasts. He said, way too much digression and off-topic discussion, parentheses, how long comparing past girlfriends to past coaching jobs, close parentheses, makes this podcast way too long. That's the one-star guy. Oh, that's the one-star guy. But one I don't, I don't, I, I consider his one-star review invalid because that was the first podcast he listened to. Oh, okay. Yeah. He needs, you need to listen to three. And then we can get into the fart of the week. But, but who's, no, 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 I still want to talk about, talking about tangents, I want to talk about people who don't like me. Who's the four-star guy who didn't like me? That's the pastor. Yeah. What did he say? 
I'll read the little snippet. The first paragraph is kind of explaining his thoughts about it. He's like, I love hearing Bill and Tim, but being real, Doug can get on my nerves. He seems to, seems to dictate every podcast and how it goes, but I think Bill and Tim are the most informed and the most intriguing. Not blasting him, but simply telling you guys how I feel. I will continue to listen, but my only request would be settle down, Doug, and stop his tangents and talk more football. Stick to sports. Yeah. Hashtag yeah. stick to sports. A man of God. A man of God. Man of the cloth. <laughs> All right. I'm taking your feedback into consideration, and I'm going to ignore it. No, I'm just kidding. Well, um, anyway, so I wanted to talk about my favorite snacks at Disney World for 20 minutes, and then we'll get to recruiting. All right. Well, so they have just Tim. Sorry. I want to do 20 minutes on Disney World popsicles, and then read, we'll get to the thing. To oh, sorry. All right, read the fart. Well, I was just, I was just going to say that SC Buck was contradicting the past. Where he says, "Also, Doug needs to keep up the reins to keep the five star status." Yeah, we got far more. We want Doug tangents than we got. Uh, okay. Priest telling yeah, us. It's- <laughs> <laughs> That's, um, that's good. Okay. All right. All right. I'll be me. I'll be me. What? So are there any more new ones? Um, well, here's the, I guess the fart of the week comes from Holly Lizard. I'm guessing the title is a father talks OSU football with his sons. Kind father Doug talks turkey with his sons, Ari and Tim in a sweet and facts oriented podcast. Can I just say I've been here since August and people still think Ari's on the podcast, but if they think you're Ari. They think Bill's Ari? They said yeah. Ari and Tim? I could be Ari. Yeah, yeah, we need to like keep a tally of who gets called Ari the most. Is it Bill or is it me? We need to keep a tally. As long as it's not me, I'm fine either way. Let's keep a running tally, but anyway, let's talk Disney World. No, I don't want to talk Disney World. Nobody cares about that. Um, Harry Miller. What are we at class-wise? Let's do some talk, and we'll get to your questions after this. We want to talk about... Because, Tim, you, you made a, a point before we started um, about Ohio State's overall ranking. So let's talk about that. But let's also talk about the Harry Miller commit. Let's talk about Harry Miller first. And then let's use that as a chance to catch up everybody on where the 2019 class stands. Well, last week when Bill and I talked recruiting, we both said Harry Miller was very likely to join the class. And he ended up joining Sunday. The inter- interesting thing about Miller, he was supposed to go on a mission trip to Nicar- Nicaragua next month where he was going to make his announcement. That for Ohio State, there's a picture that he tweeted out of a little cardboard sign that says committed. And he's got a bunch of Ohio State t-shirts, which I, which I don't know if this was the plan or not, if he was going to offer them to the children in, in Nicaragua uh. on his mission trip. And that's how he was going to make his announcement, obviously. But that trip didn't happen. So Sunday, two days after he was in Columbus f- to visit unofficially during the camp with his mother, he decides he wants to go ahead and commit to Ohio State. That would have been a great way to commit. Yeah, I mean, we've seen videos and different things like that. I think that is a really cool way to do it. And, I, and that speaks to the kind of kid Harry Miller is. You know, he's a very intelligent kid. Valedic, he's got a he, 4.0 GPA, very smart. And he's not just smart. He's a, this is a kid who's an outstanding football player. Number 36 in 247 Sports Composite. He's the number two center. And I, I wrote about it. His comparison to the Garrett Wilson commit, in a way, because they got him – out of a state that features a, a program that is locking down the state. Right. Because Georgia has owned the state of Georgia ever since Kirby Smart got there. I, let me pull up the number. Is there a secret connection here? Not that I know of, no. Yeah, well, the state I want to pull up, last year Georgia signed five of the six, top six players in the state of Georgia and four of the top six in 2017. And it's kind of a statement, like I said with Wilson, Ohio State's not going to go away from getting – from going into these states. They're not going to be able to pull out 
great players all the time, like Raekwon McMillan and Von Bell, but it's important for them to continue to compete in there because you never know when you're going to get a kid like Harry Miller or Garrett Wilson out of these states. So does this feel does this kid feel like a three year starter at center to you guys? <clears throat> well, I think it's interesting because they got Matthew Jones last year, and Matthew Jones is a, a highly rated four star center as well. And obviously, you can if you can play center, you can probably play guard too. I think what this sets up now is like who is the center of the future. Because Harry Miller is not going to sit by, sit behind Matthew Jones for three years or vice versa. So, like, which one of those guys has to be a guard now? I think is interesting. Um, but yeah, I think he's. I mean, they lose a lot on the offensive line, and so I mean, I don't, I don't think he'll start as a freshman. We've talked about that before, but yeah, I think he's a three year starter. And if Isaiah Prince is the right tackle, you're you're going to lose three fifths to the offensive line no matter what next year because you have Brady Taylor, Demetrius Knox, and Isaiah Prince who are all gone after the season. Michael Jordan will be a senior next year. That four-fifths of your offensive line that are juniors or older. And what this does set up, in addition to kind of what Bill said, they've got some depth on the interior line now. You mentioned Matthew Jones, Josh Myers, and Wyatt Davis. Now you add in Harry Miller, who I wrote about as a guy that at Buford, his high school in Georgia, Buford, Georgia, they played him all over the place. You know, they played him at tackle. They played him at guard. He was originally ranked as a tackle, but now he's ranked as a center. So he seems like a guy that you could – Ohio State could play pretty much anywhere on the offensive line, but center seems like probably his best position. On paper, like their individual player ranking, he is the third best offensive lineman of the Ubermeyer era, behind Nicholas Petit Freire and Wyatt Davis. Interesting. And this is, again, I feel like <clears throat> Michael Jordan's really good, mm-hmm. but I feel like at times their interior offensive line recruiting had suffered a bit, and this is goes back to the the story we always have talked about and never done about the interior offensive line and Gardapalooza and how important their guard play was in 2014. Yeah. Um, but even like again in recruits, like Pat Elfline was an under the radar recruit mm-hmm. who turned out to be awesome. The Billy Price was a big time recruit, but they also thought he might play defense. Yeah. Like this is in 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 Wyatt Davis, Josh Myers, Matthew Jones, and Harry Miller. We're now talking about four big-time recruits who were recruited as interior offensive linemen who were never going to play defense and really were never in the mix to be tackles, right? Yeah, and I think, like, I just gave you the where Harry Miller ranks, like, in in the list of Rivermeyer offensive line recruits. Wyatt Davis, Harry Miller, Josh Myers, and Matthew Jones are all in the top six of best offensive line recruits. Signed by Urban Meyer, and that's recent interior offensive yeah. line guys. This is a this is a change. Is it coincidental or is it like, hey, we need better guards? Uh, yeah, I think they need better guards. I think uh, Greg Stoudreau was a better recru- recruiter than Ed Warner. Ed Warner's a better offensive line coach, but Stoudreau was a better recruiter. Um, so I think that's part of it too. But yeah, it's been a position. It's it goes hand in hand, sort of with just the the increased level of their recruiting in general, I think. Because I, I bet if you went across the board, position by position, you might find it to be the case for a lot of them. Recent guys being among the best they've recruited at the position. Um, but yeah, it was a need. It was that 2015 class. Like, whenever Meyer always talked about the 2015 class being a miss and offensive line misses in recruiting, he was talking about interior. Yep. He wasn't talking about tackles. So this was it, was, it was a need compounded by the idea that they're just recruiting a little better now. And it's easy, I think, for a lot of people to focus on tackles mm-hmm. when you talk about offensive line recruiting. They're... They get more attention at me. Like when you get a five star tackle, that's like a huge deal, and it and it feels like sometimes 
And I think maybe this is the mistake. It feels like sometimes in the past that it could be like if you recruited a big-time tackle and he wasn't quite as good as you thought he was, he'd be a guard. Yeah. And I think there's a difference between your starting guards being guys who were like, not failed, failed the wrong word, but I'm going to use it, that your starting guards are failed tackles or failed tackle recruits mm-hmm. as opposed to your guards being four- and five-star guys who were interior offensive linemen. And I know Myers played tackle in high school, but everybody always pretty much projected him as a guard, right? Yeah. So guys that, even if they played tackle in high school, there were no illusions about, well, we'll try. we want him to be a tackle, and if he doesn't make it, he'll be a guard. It's like, we are recruiting interior offensive linemen who know how to play interior offensive line and are coming here to play interior offensive line and are really good at that. To me, it's the same discussion as recruiting athletes and trying to make them receivers as opposed to recruiting guys who can play receiver. And that's, as you've written and talked about many times, that's another change we've seen where they've gotten away from just trying to turn good athletes into receivers and now they're recruiting receivers. So to me, Wyatt Davis and, and Harry Miller and Matthew Jones are Austin Mack and Trayvon Grimes and Jalen Harris. Yeah. And, and and that that is a change. That is and it seems like a good one. And it seems like and it seems like not a coincidental one. It seems like that is something oh. that they have done with purpose to go after and get some of these top tier interior offensive line recruits. It's just like what's happening in the NFL, the re sort of the rebirth of the guard position, because Quentin Nelson, a guard from Notre Dame, was the number six pick in the draft. He was drafted, I believe, before an offensive tackle was. Mm-hmm. It is. I mean, it's... It is. It's just... It's, well, we it's need a red trend. guard of though. We really need a red guard of yeah. I mean, because you can peg it off... We could peg guard of off Harry Miller if we wanted to. Yeah, I'm just looking now, because I, I, I made the point about Jones and, and Miller and who's going to be the center of the future... I don't think it's 100% off the table that Josh Myers is a starting center next year. Oh, yeah. We thought there might be a chance Josh Myers was a starting center this year. No, no. What I, that's what I mean. Oh, oh you I mean, mean like 2018? 2018. Oh, you still think that? Yeah, I feel like I came out of the spring feeling very, very strongly that it was going to be Brady Taylor. And I, I, if you ask me today, I still think it's going to be him, but I don't think it's 100% going to be him. I think the door is open for Josh Myers. And you're talking about a redshirt freshman starter at center with Matthew Jones and Harry Miller coming behind them. And then like that just makes the position battle all the more intriguing. And I don't know. You know, Wyatt, and then you have, if he's the center, then you have Wyatt Davis, Harry Miller, Matthew Jones, all guys vying to be starting guards for a team that's going to, has one, two, three, four seniors on the offensive line. And Michael Jordan as a starter, third year starter, who I think could very well leave after this season. I grabbed Phil Steele when you mentioned the name Michael Jordan. He does his top draft eligible players. Michael Jordan is a number three guard. Yeah. In a world, as Tim just mentioned, where guards good guards seem to matter more than ever in the NFL. That's why the Browns paid a ton of money to Kevin Zeitler. I mean, the Cowboys have built, I know, what, right at that, is it uh, Zach Martin? Is that the Cowboys guy? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and Travis Day. Frederick, mm-hmm. interior offensive line. I mean, tackles always matter. But um, I think people, people are very interested in sort of like pass rushing defensive tackles, get pressure up the middle. And as a result, you're very interested in uh, athletic interior offensive linemen who can pull and get out in the run game, but also can negate some of those um, 
Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald. Donald type interior pass rushers that everybody wants now too. So it's all the subtle evol- evolutions of football. It is Gardapalooza. We'll do it. It's on the list. As long as it's on the list, list, it doesn't matter if we ever actually write it. On the list. (laughs) We can, there'll be stuff, because I think uh, Wisconsin will probably send both of its starting guards to like Big Ten Media Day. Okay. So I think there'll be some good guys to talk to in Chicago. So Guard of Palooza is on your list for Big Ten Media Days? Which they've announced, by the way, July 23rd and 24th. If you want to go to the Big Ten meetings on July 24th, is a Tuesday. That's when the Big Ten luncheon is. It's like a big thing that a lot of uh, college football fans, a lot of Big Mm -hmm. Ten fans show up at. They have a luncheon. They have one of the um, seniors in the Big Ten speak on behalf of all the players. They have all the coaches up there. Uh, I think you get chicken. Is it chicken? I never had the dinner. I stood in the room one time and watched people eat it, and it looked very good. Yeah. So you can go. If you want to go, if you never haven't been to Chicago for a while and you want to get into football season, it's not a bad thing to do. Um, so you try to get tickets if you want. We'll be there, maybe at the luncheon, but you can say hi. Maybe we'll do a Buckeye talk from there. If you go, tell us, and we'll, we'll have you on the show. There. Yeah, yeah, because it'll be Monday, Tuesday, so we'll have to do a Buckeye talk from there unless we do one driving back. So, so we'll knock out the Buckeye talk from Big Ten Media Days before we leave. We did one last year. It was Ari's last Buckeye talk. Oh, right. Yeah. We recorded it, like, on their fake radio row. Oh, yeah. Ari was crying. Um, Did you guys play taps at the end for Ari? Yeah, yeah. and then we killed him. <laughs> uh, Even though people think he's still here. Yeah, the ghost of Ari and still inhabits the podcast. Um, all right, quick reminder for you guys to get subscribed to all of our podcasts at cleveland.com. Wine and Gold Podcast is going to keep going even though the Cavs are done. And guess what? You need to be listening to that because they're going to tell you where LeBron's going to go. Yeah, now they're now the Cavs are interesting. Yeah. So it's like, you knew they were going to get swept, but it's like, now what? Um, so you've got to listen to Joe Varden and Chris Fedor talk about that. The Wine and Gold podcast. Get subscribed to that wherever you subscribe to Buckeye Talk and other fine podcasts. Orange and Brown Talk. That's the Browns. Browns are in mini camps. Things are heating up. Everybody's getting excited. People are jumping in lakes. Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Labe, listen to them. Get subscribed to that. Cleveland Baseball Talk. Joe Noga. Paul Hoynes breaking down the Indians, who remain in first place in the worst division in baseball. Um, The Indians are interesting. They're going to make moves at the trade deadline. Um, They're a World Series contender with a gaping problem. That's interesting. Um, And uh, what's the other one? Oh, Takes by the Lake. That's my podcast. And this week I'll be talking to Dave Zirin, who wrote a book about Jim Brown. So that will be up on Friday. Unless I put it up early. Um, That'll be up. Um, this week on Takes by the Lake. Again, get subscribed separately to all of those Cleveland.com podcasts. And you can always find, if you ever get confused, you can find all of our podcasts at Cleveland.com slash podcasts. Questions? From May 28th, uh, Connor Bailey, and I think we, we teased this one too, he gave us a list of JT's uh, single game and season records, and he wants to know if we think whether or not, what what we think of Dwayne Haskins' ability to surpass those eventually. Ooh. So I think we can just do like yes or no, right? We don't have to, I don't think we're we can do a 40-minute discussion about right. it. Right, yeah. Okay. Past completions in a season, JT's record is 233. Will Dwayne Haskins break that record? Yes. 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 Passing touchdowns in a game is six. Will Dwayne Haskins break that record? No. I say no. I think yes. Seven's a lot. 
Seven's a lot. I think you could tie it. It's like if you if you've thrown six touchdown passes, you're probably up by ninety. Right. And I don't know if you're still in the game. Uh, passing touchdowns in a season, thirty-four. Yes. 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 Uh, Boy, JT's legacy is going down the toilet already. <laughs> total offense in a season, three thousand seven hundred and seventy-two. That's combined passing and rushing. No. No, no, I, I, and I think no because because obviously we know he's not going to run, but I just think they're going to also. I think the running backs are going to be very involved and take a lot of the yardage. Uh, I mean, yeah, I th- I think I agree with that. I, I mean, mean, people throw for four thousand yards all the time. Yeah, right. So like, yeah, even if he only runs for two hundred, for him to throw for thirty six hundred and run for two hundred is certainly on the table. That that more or less boils down to, I mean, again, a lot of this stuff is not just a question. It's not only a discussion about Dwayne Haskins. It's a discussion about Ryan Day and Ryan Day's play calling and Ryan Day's offense and the ability of his offense to be explosive. And it's a conversation about the backup quarterback and how long Urban Meyer is going to keep people in games. I think if Joe Burrow is still around, all these things would be much more difficult for Dwayne Haskins to attain. But I'm curious to see, like, how is he going to give Tate Martell I mean, Urban keeps guys in. Urban kept JT in a lot. But yeah. yet we still saw Dwayne Haskins enough last year because they had enough blowouts. When's Tate Martell going to come into blowouts? Is he going to be in a hurry to de- get Tate Martell reps and get him in games? Or since Dwayne Haskins is a first-year starter, is he going to want Dwayne Haskins to get important reps against Oregon State and Rutgers early on because he's got to get Dwayne Haskins ready for TCU? And then is he going to get big-time reps against Tulane, because he's got to get Dwayne Haskins ready for Penn State. Like, Dwayne Haskins might play until two minutes left in the game for the yeah. whole first month. The guy needs reps. The guy has two huge games in the first six weeks, and he needs reps. He might break all these records in the first half of the season. I've changed my mind. I think he's. I think he can do it. There were eight quarterbacks who threw for 4,000 yards last year, three of them in the Power Five, two of them in the state of Oklahoma. Um I think it's like I think Dwayne Haskins like might rush for about four hundred ish yards, four hundred to five hundred yards, um, just based off even scrambling alone and then the handful of design runs they do with him. So it's just a matter of can he throw for thirty four, thirty five hundred yards, and I think he can. JT last year threw for three thousand and fifty three yards. I think just the way with the offense is going, that that Dwayne Haskins will be a three thousand yard passer, and I think like significantly better than JT. In terms of total passing yards, so I think he gets there, and it's not. We're not saying next year. The, the question was eventually, not just in 2018. Although it might have to be just in 2018, depending how things go. It's like if he breaks him in 2018, yeah, right. Then he might not be here in 2019. If he does not break them in 2018, then maybe he will be here in 2019. Touchdowns responsible for in a game seven. No, I already said he throw for seven. I guess so. Yes, uh, I'll say no. Touchdowns responsible for in a season, 45. No. No. Because, like, JT, I mean, what JT's 45. What is that? Like, 32 passing and 13 rushing or something? It was uh, 34 passing and, yeah, 34 passing and 11 rushing. I mean, Dwayne, ha- how many rushing touchdowns is Dwayne Haskins going to have this year? Three? Maybe. I was going to say two. Yeah, I think not many. I think when they're, well, I don't know. It's, it's hard to get a gauge of, I think. 
I just I, we don't know what they're going to do with him in short yardage. Are they going to bring in Tate Martell? Are they going to give it to the running back? Or are they actually going to let him in there like run the QB power to score a touchdown like JT Barrett did nine thousand times in his career? Right. I don't think the answer is a definite no on that. And and because one thing is, is it going to be a read? Are they going to have a read option on the goal line? And yeah. they're all and in those. It's like it's the, it's the counterintuitive thing, right? Which we've talked about mm-hmm. because he's not as dangerous of a runner. They're all the whole defense is going to go to J.K. Dobbins or Mike Weber, which might leave Dwayne Haskins to walk into the end zone eight times if the whole defense is selling out for the guy who's more dangerous yeah. on second and goal from the two. And and J.T. had a couple of those. I mean, what? When JT had his rushing touchdowns, every now and then he'd have one of those rushing touchdowns where, like, he have, could have crawled in if he wanted to because the whole defense was on the running back. I think Dwayne Haskins in his career will eclipse that forty-five touchdowns because if he can throw forty, I think he can. I think he can walk in for five. You have the CFB stats side up. Yeah. How many guys threw for forty touchdowns last year? Two: Drew Locke and Baker Mayfield. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those things. Like the discussion is like, well. The year we, before that, six guys did. If we think, well, if Dwayne Haskins can be the best quarterback in the country, then he can break all these records. But I mean, I, and I'm not like, like can't he? Like, is it? Like, I'm I, not making fun of you because it's like yeah. I think that's what we think his upside is. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's like, well, if he wins the Heisman, will he have scored 45 touchdowns? I still think no, because I think that's a hard combination because there's so many rushing touchdowns for JT, and he just won't have. He won't have double figure rushing touchdowns. So if he's going to have even if he has eight, now he's got to throw for thirty-seven. He's got to throw for thirty-eight touchdowns with eight rushing touchdowns to break it. That's a lot of touchdowns. It's a lot of touchdowns. Last one. Games uh, with three hundred yards of offense. JT had seven. This is record in two thousand fourteen. Combined passing and rushing. Boy, because again, it's going to be have to be mostly passing. Yeah. But I also think, like, do you think it's on the table that, like, Dwayne Haskins is going to throw for, like, 371 yards against Oregon State? Yeah. Yeah. And that even, like, I I think we might get into a world where it's, like, a Dwayne Haskins okay game is throwing for, like, 306. You know what I mean? That, like, like Dwayne Haskins, like, like, oh, how was Dwayne Haskins? How did Dwayne Haskins do against uh, Maryland? It's like, oh, he had a pretty good game. What was he? Oh, he was... He was twenty four of thirty eight for three hundred and seven yards, and like that was that, and that, and like that's not great in the context of a Dwayne Haskins season. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, or is a twenty four for thirty eight for three hundred and seven yards is that great? No matter what, or is that just like you know he ran the offense and he made some throws, he missed some throws, you know? Yeah. Sorry, I was looking at. I mean, the, I was looking at the Sean Watson's numbers because I feel like that might be. I, a decent comparison for Dwayne Haskins. If you if you put that if that scenario is in the okay compare in the okay column, then you put him in the Baker Mayfield category, where Ohio State's pretty much the number one team in the college football playoff rankings, and they're going to go play for the play for the national championship, which we expect. And, and again, like if if he only plays a half, that's different. But as long as he plays like mostly a full game, is he going to have a game where he's where he's 19 of 29 for 187 yards? No. Like, that can't... Like, there's no... Like, if, I don't even... Like, don't if that, that had to happen, then that means that, that J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber each ran for 160 yards. Yeah. Because they only threw for 187, but they ran for 320. And they got the 500 yards offense. But I just, I just don't see that. 
I, I maybe it'll happen once, but the idea that he'll he'll have more than seven games with three hundred yards offense. I mean, I think he might have ten. Yeah, I think I think he could have ten. I think he's going to average. I think he'll average between two fifty and three hundred yards game passing, and then I think it's not crazy to pretend to get you know thirty to fifty yards rushing per game. Not the hundred the JT routinely got, but I think that math is pretty easy to get to. Yeah. And again, it's just a lot of it is based on what the offense is going to look like and how defenses are going to play them and what Ryan Day is going to ask them to do. But I think if if you think a decently large and forget the downfield passing for the moment, which I think everybody believes is going to be more prevalent and more successful, because they even they and maybe even maybe not more prevalent but more successful because they actually tried it a decent amount of the time last year and just missed on some of them. Yeah, but I just think we think there's going to be a lot of those four-yard quick passes to Paris Campbell and Demario McCall, and Dwayne Haskins is going to make a lot of money on those. I always get nervous when I see these questions that could have 30-minute answers and check the time. Uh, Christian Zilstra asks on May 22nd, he said, uh, we measure success by titles won, and Urban won two titles at Florida, one so far at Ohio State. But given all the other factors, program culture, winning percentage, etc., is it fair to say his tenure at Ohio State has already been more successful than his tenure at Florida? Oh, boy, boy. That sounds like a cool <laughs> More? I, I think we should do a lot of that because it's six years in now. So there's yeah. a lot of straight comparisons to make. He had six years at Florida. Um, boy, oh, boy. I mean, so he is 73-8 and eight at Ohio State. In his six years at Florida, he was 65 and 15. Um, he's won two Big Ten titles, right? Yeah, he's won two Big Ten championships here. At Florida, he won one, two. Yeah, two. He also won two. And the two years he won the national the title at Florida, he won the, national, the national championship. Yeah. Is it more successful? I, I, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, and I was going to say, because here's, here's part of the answer. But, but the interesting thing is that it applies to Urban at both places. And it applies to Urban probably more than it applies to any other coach in the era. Boy, this is, I'm going to write this down too. Boy, this is a good one. I'm writing this like this week. Okay. Here's my comparison. <laughs> I saw you wrote down and I'm excited. Urban is LeBron. Each with three titles. Two of them in Florida. One of them in Ohio. <laughs> and guess what that makes? Nick Saban is the Warriors. Ooh. Because if you wipe that... It's a dynasty. Yeah. There is a dynasty that doesn't necessarily exist in every era. And if those dynasties didn't exist, both LeBron and Urban would have more titles. Yeah. I think the only the only difference between the comparisons is that LeBron didn't play Golden State when he was in Miami. Right. But I still think it makes sense. But even but and I feel like Urban so Urban in 06. But well, he went to Miami because he could have beat Boston, right? Yeah. 
conflict. There was another dynasty. It just was the dynasty changed. Well, but the dynasty. Well, but the, not, not, not dynasty. Not dynasty. But super, super. Dynasty. Right. Yeah. But but Urban but Urban Saban started at Bama in 07. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was 07 because I believe it was the second year they played Florida in the SEC championship game and lost to Tintibo. And then 09 was the year they blow right. him out. So Urban got one title at Florida pre Saban, and he got his second title at Florida as Saban was ramping up. Mm-hmm. And then he stopped getting titles because of Saban. Yes. And then he did beat Saban once head to head to get the one more title, just like LeBron beat Golden State once. And it's not as direct. But for it, but Alabama absolutely kept Ohio State out of the playoff last year. It was a direct head-to-head comparison. Yep. Oh. I think it's the only disappointing part, <laughs> thing about the Urban era be, because we've only gotten one round of Urban Saban. You kind of yeah. thought that when Urban Meyer got to Ohio State, we'd have it every year, and we've only gotten it once in six. Right. That you you that we, they've played head-to-head. I guess three times when it mattered, right? Yeah, there was a regular 08 season. and 09 mm-hmm. in the SEC championships, yep. and they split them. And the winner each time won the national title. Mm-hmm. And then in here, obviously, in the 2014 playoff. Yep. But we have not, but whereas LeBron has gone head to head against the Warriors four times. Well, that's the one difference. But. So LeBron's gone head, as you said, LeBron didn't have the Warriors when he was in Florida. So LeBron's gone head to head against his primary challenger four times, and and Urban's gone head to head against his primary challenger three times. Yeah. And LeBron beat him once, and and Urban beat him twice. So it's not perfect, but it's pretty good. What's the question? (laughs) Was that a tangent? That was a football tangent. I know, but it was interesting. I think the question was like. Do you consider this more his tenure at Ohio State oh. more of a success? Something uh, along those lines. Like both are incredibly successful, but I would say no. Mm, I, I mean, would, it certainly depends on depends on how you define it, and like it's in some ways it feels almost like the Jordan Lebron argument. It's like oh rings, like whatever he had two there, he has one here. Um, and you would never get Urban to answer this question, but I think, like, from a personal standpoint, it probably is. He's, like, in a much better place, I think, as, like, a human being than he was back then. Um, I think his program is running a little more smoothly than it was there. People always talk about all the arrests he had with players of Florida. He hasn't had very many legal troubles here with his Ohio State team. Um, I changed my mind. Yes. You're convincing me. Continue. Uh, I think a lot of the things are similar. He recruited, I think, more consistently at a higher level. Maybe no, Maybe it was a similar level. He had the number one recruiting class in the nation, I think, one year at Florida. Yeah, I believe it was the 2010 class, because that was the year when he stepped down and then came back. And yeah, they always say Urban left the cupboard bare, and like the class he left in 2010 had like nine five-star prospects in it. And he did. He had, the, but he had that class. Even the class they built everything on, he had the class where he'd like the he got the top player from like six or seven different states. Yeah. So I, I think I think there's probably an argument to be made that his recruiting was a little better at Florida than than it's been so far at Ohio State. But now he's getting it back to, to a similar point now at Ohio State with the last two recruiting classes. But I just I think from like a program health standpoint, this is more successful. I think that's right. I think program health and personal health. He's after six years at Florida, he was burned out. He was burned out after five years at Florida and came yeah. back anyway for year six. He's far from burned out here, so he's done. 
basically the same thing. He's he's better. I mean, he's seventy three and eight versus sixty five and fifteen. So he has seven fewer losses. So he's winning more during the regular season. Part of that's competition, mm-hmm. but he's winning more. He has one title versus two. The only thing he doesn't, the only thing that falls short is is titles, his national titles. Right. But I think he has done basically. And the, the final answer is the success is basically the same, but the success he's had at Ohio State has been done at less of a cost to him personally and with less of a cost to having to, I don't know what the right word is, cut corners, sacrifice some whatever yeah. to get to have got that he just, the arrests and the problems at Florida are part of his legacy at Florida. You cannot talk about his time at Florida without that coming up. People bring it up immediately. People bring it up so fast that it leaked over to his Ohio State tenure when, frankly, that just has not been an issue at Ohio State, like anywhere close to the same way. Every program is going to have something here or there. But but I think that that point is is well is well taken. He had fewer than 10 wins three times at Florida. His first year, they won nine. 2007, they won nine. His last year, they won eight. He's had at least 11 wins every year at Ohio State. He's finished at least tied for first place in his division every year at Ohio State. And he had a second-place finish, a third-place finish, and a second-place finish in his own division while in Florida. I actually, like, now that you like look at the numbers and think about all that stuff, I actually don't even know if it's a conversation. I mean, the only conversation is national is titles. Yeah. yeah. I admit I was initially thinking no, but you swayed me a little bit, not just, you know, just his stated being, but the fact that, like you said, Bill, I was I actually looked at the numbers, too, the fact that, Ohio State's been more consistent, just getting double-digit wins every year. You don't have the dips in the record like in 2007 when they won nine games, even though they had the Heisman Trophy winner in Tim Tebow. The In 2010, they only win eight games in his final season. That hasn't happened at Ohio State. It's been consistent 10 or 11 wins every year. His bowl record at Florida was better. He was 5-1 and one in bowl games in Florida at Ohio State. He's 3-2, uh, and 4-2 and two if you count the national title game as bowl game in 14. Yeah. Yeah, let's do that comparison. We'll do that comparison. Some straight head-to-head six-year comparisons. Yeah, that's an interesting question. Whose question was that? That was I just deleted. Kristen Christian Zilstra. That's a great question, Christian. Yeah. Uh, and like this, I guess, kind of bleeds into it. We've talked about it before. We've talked about it a lot before. But Michael Enio says, "What do you guys think is Urban's remaining shelf life at Ohio State? Is this his final destination? Do you think if he, when he decides to leave, will be with a successor in mind or more out of the blue?" He also asked what we thought about Chile's recent data breach. I didn't know about that. Question was for May 22nd. Data breach? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw people making, like, I want my data back, data back. <laughs> Jokes. I remember that. Um, I think we have reached the point with Urban, and this was not the expectation when he got here. I think there was reasonably a lot of talk, given how things ended at Florida. There was reasonably a lot of talk when he got to Ohio State about shelf life. How long would they have him? If you would have asked any Ohio State fan back then, Florida had him six years, would you take six years? They would have said yes. Like if you told Ohio State fans when he got hired, you're getting him for six, is that okay? You know, will you take a guaranteed six? People said, would we take a guaranteed six? I think he is at the point right now where the discussion about Urban Meyer's shelf life, both at Ohio State and overall as a coach, so whether you're talking about is he going to retire or is he going to take the Dallas Cowboys job, as I always like to bring up, yeah. is no different than any other coach. And so, of course, like 
you can play the guessing game of a guy in his mid fifties. Is he going to retire when he's sixty five? Is he going to retire when he's seventy? Is he going to retire when he's sixty two? Is a great coach going to take an NFL opportunity once he's proven everything he can prove at the college level? But I, but I just think the only the only thing that changes um, with great college coaches in that discussion is how old they are. And so, like the discussion with Dabo would be different just because he's younger than Urban. But there's nothing else there that would change that discussion. Like Jim Harbaugh, I think, is more of a discussion on that just because of his NFL past. But anybody else who's just like, I mean, would are, are you worried about James Franklin's shelf life at Penn State? Are people worried about, um, I don't even know, like Tom Herman's shelf life at Texas? Are people worried about Willie Taggart's shelf life at Florida State? Are people worried about... You know, Gus Malzahn's shelf life at Auburn. I mean, because people thought he was going to get fired. But, you know, like, yeah. it's just, well, a guy might retire when he gets in his 60s, and a guy might take an NFL job if he ever gets a great offer. But I do not think there's anything else hanging over Urban at this point in time. And I think when he got hired as Ohio, at Ohio State, there was something hanging over his head. So... I think it's just a generic shelf life question now, and then that's just you don't you don't know. Like I, I still believe sure it's the thing I've always said. Nick his his last their last kid is going to college in the fall. They're empty nesters. That's different than having kids in the house. You're hearing the conversation now with LeBron about how much family matters when you have kids in school. Any person with a job who has kids in school, whether or not you move, the kids matter a lot. When that is removed from the equation, I just think it changes things. But So my answer is I don't know, but I think if there was a time maybe right up until this point where Ohio State fans were maybe reasonably extra worried about that, there's no reason to be extra worried about it now. I agree. Do you think he leaves with a successor in mind? Like, is he going to appoint his successor? Like, is there going to be a... Uh... I don't know, Bob Stoops, Lincoln Riley kind of thing, or uh, people thought Muschamp was going to like take over for Mac Brown, right? I think that's proven to fail. That's been a failure. Yeah. I think it hasn't. There was a there was a time when coaching coaches and waiting were the whole thing. I, you know, I don't think it's going to be. I don't think he's going to leave like Stoops left, like sort of like what, like out of the blue, up, I'm done. Yeah, you know, like I think it'll just be more like a normal retirement. And then there'll be a national search, and there'll be a bunch of great coaches who want to be the next coach at Ohio State. So, um, no, because I, I, I like who 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 does that? Like who? Like what? Like that doesn't. Yeah, that's I, not I don't how think, it works. I don't think. And who knows? Like when he leaves, what his staff will look like? I have no idea. But yeah, I can't imagine. Like, I don't know. If depending on how far away it is, like I think if like Ryan Day were to leave and get a head coaching job somewhere and be good, and then, like he he could be in the mix. Tom Herman could be in the mix. Matt Campbell's going to be the head coach at Ohio State. Yeah, but um, I but I think yeah. it has to be it would have to be someone who would like leave his staff, go be a head coach somewhere, be successful. I can't imagine he would just promote an assistant. But it's just because you don't know what's going to happen. It's like again, a couple years ago when we had this discussion, it'd be like, oh, Tom Her- Tom Herman's the head coach at Texas. Like Tom Herman's not going to leave being the head coach yeah. at Texas to yeah. come to Ohio State. So Tom Herman is not going to be Urban Meyer's successor. What if Tom Herman gets fired at Texas and then Urban hires him as an offensive coordinator again? Then does Ohio State want like the fired Texas? Yeah, yeah, I mean, but even, but like, so it's like you say, okay, it could be Ryan Day. Well, if it's six years from now, I mean, Ryan Day might be the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens with three playoff appearances under his belt by yeah. the time you know, like it's just I don't think you can play the game because it's too, 
it's too hard to figure out because you don't you just assume that Urban's not going anywhere for a while. Gene Nilly asked a really good question that we should have asked like immediately after our JT Braxton conversation. He said in 2024, the 10th anniversary of the national championship, who gets a bigger ovation from the crowd, JT or Cardo? Ooh. I don't know. You guys are going to be covering that. I'm going to be dead. <laughs> so you guys figure that out. Uh, I think they're going to walk out together. <laughs> yeah. Will they do another throwing contest? At, no. Like, Cardale will want to do it. Yeah. I think if you if you did that today, Cardale might get the better applause. But I feel like I've mentioned this over time. I think as time kind of separates JT Barrett from Ohio State, I think people will recognize and appreciate the things he did. So, I mean, I think it could be JT in six years because people could forget about Cardale Jones. He could kind of fade a little bit into obscurity if he doesn't do anything in the NFL. I'm not saying JT Barrett will do anything in the NFL either, but I'm saying as time goes on, I think JT's name will stand a little longer. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll be basically equal. The only thing is, like, Cardale is just one of those guys that, like, makes you shake your head because he's so funny and crazy. It's like, could that... um, It's like, JT, they'll both get, like, extreme we love you cheers, but Cardale might get a couple extra, like, oh, man, that guy. Kind of cheers, too. Do you guys know that IHOP changed his name to IHOB? Yeah, well, yeah. I thought, I mean, that's, uh, I, I was, thought we should talk about that. I was about to. Austin Chappelle, Chappelle Austin said, what are your thoughts on IHOP changing his name to IHOB? Terrible. But, and they, they revealed it, like, this morning, Monday morning, what the B is for. Yeah, I, I just assumed it was going to stand for breakfast. That's what everybody yeah. thought. You know what, it, you know what it looks like to me? It, the way it's come across, and I just looked at the Twitter, it's like a 15-year-old hijacked their account and hijacked the company and gave them all these menus or whatever. Like, now we're a burger place. We're no longer doing pancakes. Like, no. You are IHOP. You do pancakes. Has IHOP perfected the pancake enough that it can start branching out in the burgers? I feel like they have room to, work, room to improve on the pancakes first. Well, I mean, I just... Uh, when's the last time... Well, sh- shouldn't they be like I hop in the morning and I hob in the evening? That's what they should do. They should make all their signs that the P flips. Like you, can, they oh, go yeah. out oh, and every cool. year, every day. Like they change the menu at McDonald's. There's like a big production. Yeah, where a guy goes out with a long stick <laughs> and he takes the bottom of the P and he flips it up and makes it a B. And it's like, hey, it's a B. It's a you know. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say because you can't rotate it because then it'd be I hide. So you have to like oh, right. flip it. So you, right. So I, I, yeah, you can't. But if you just go straight up, right? What's the P look like? Yeah, P looks like that, and you go, you push it, and it's still a B. Yeah, you push it, mm-hmm. and it'd be a big thing. You could have people from the town. You could like win the right to push the P into a B. Like come be our come be our P flipper. <laughs> we have the chance to be a maybe I swear no, not in public relations um, Have when's the last time you guys went to IHOP for dinner never the last time I went to IHOP in general was uh, when I went on the road trip with Ari after the national title game we were somewhere in Louisiana I knew what I wanted I wanted IHOP pancakes I uh, went there ordered a stack of five waited an hour he brought me one and I left what? It was, only time, it was the only time I've ever left a restaurant like without paying, like because they got my order wrong, and I just like I'm not paying for this. See you later. I paid for my coffee because I drank it, but I left like two dollars on the table and walked out. You asked for five pancakes, and an hour later they brought you one pancake. Yes. 
It's a pancake. Yeah. A pancake literally takes three minutes to make. Yeah. Ari can back me up. Yeah, that happened. And there was also something on the plate that, like, kind of looked like poop. I don't think it was. <laughs> I think it was just, like, chocolate icing. But it was a dirty plate they gave me um, with one pancake when I had ordered five. And he said, like, here's one. I'll bring you the rest later. And he was, like, very clearly overwhelmed. I don't think it was the waiter's fault. I think he might have been the only waiter working. Um, but still, I wasn't going to wait her out for my four other pancakes. That's so, awful. So I left. Yeah. So I guess if you're a place, though, I don't, like, I, there's an IHOP, like, right down the road from my house. Yeah, I drove by it, here. It mm-hmm. is busy on Sunday mornings, but it never seems busy, like, in the evening. So I guess it's like, well, why would you change to burgers? And it's like, because people actually want to eat hamburgers at six o'clock at night. And I just, and the other thing is too, it's like, uh, like all their pancakes, it's like, they all have like all tons of whipped cream and like crazy stuff on them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, do you want, do you want to eat dessert for dinner? I don't know. I guess I get it, but I don't know. I don't know. If they had done this on April 1st, I think no one would. We would all have a different opinion because we'd all just take it as an April Fool's drug. Like, oh, we're doing this one day a year. But, yeah. Like, you're changing. You're completely changing the identity of your brand. Well, do we know? Are they not going to serve pancakes now? No, they still are. Okay. Yeah. Because, like, remember when, I mean, Boston Market used to be Boston Chicken. And they went, didn't want to just be chicken anymore. So they changed to Boston Market. And now it's like, they still have chicken, but they have other stuff. I guess the problem is having a particular food item in your name you're the international what if they were just i hoff international <laughs> house of food i'd go there yeah and then it's like oh they got all kinds of stuff it's like what do you got here we got food but you're making a commitment to a specific item in your name and you're so grossly changing what the item is uh, they'll be out of business in five years. Unless they want to sponsor Buckeye Talk, then, yeah. of course. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, like, the equivalent. It'd be, like, a pizza place that suddenly decides they're, in addition to pizza, they're also going to serve tacos. Like, what? Little Caesars Pizza and Tacos. What a burger tweeted. As much as we love our pancakes, we'd never change our name to What a Pancake. Really? Yeah. yeah. They went after him like that? Yep. By the way, Whataburger, why aren't you in Ohio? They'll be here eventually. Everything comes here. I mean, it would be like if you had a football podcast where you talked about food and robots. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. You've yeah. got to stick to one thing. Uh, all right. I'm going to go to some email questions because I set up this email account and then didn't use it last week. Oh. Also, by the way, uh, I got more. What's the psychopath robot? I mean, everyone's sending me the psychopath robot. <laughs> I was on vacation, so I didn't have a chance oh. to dig in on it. They made a robot that is on purpose like a maniac. I guess so. I didn't read it. All I know is that uh, Chris Long from the Eagles is, is on your level when it comes to the robot. Oh, revolution. for real? Let's get him on. I think we could. I think he'd be an interesting guest. He's a lot to talk about. Um, we have an email address, buckeyetalkpod at gmail.com. You can send questions there, complaints if you'd like. Um, Eric Bronstein sent one in and said, how do you think Dante Booker will factor into the linebacker rotation this year? Seemed to have a ton of upside before getting hurt in 2016. And ultimately seemed to struggle in 2017. He was also hurt in 2017. He was in concussion protocol at the end of the year. Um, and then had shoulder surgery. And then had shoulder surgery. Yeah. So what do we think of Dante Booker's role this coming season? I think we've talked about Dante Booker in the offseason. Yeah. Like, I just think he's a bonus. I just yeah. don't. I'm, I'm not factoring him into anything. Because you don't know what his deal is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's been had bad luck with injuries. I think he's a good player. I also think there were times when he did get to play that he he wasn't 
an absolute playmaker. Struggled a little bit. Yeah. Um, he was on the field, you know, at times last year, and some of the linebacker problems they had came when he was on the field. And I've again made it clear that I thought the linebacker coaching had a lot to do with that. Uh, it feels like they have a lot of players there. They have a lot of young players who are eager and ready for bigger roles. And I think a healthy Dante Booker could absolutely be a good player for them. But I just, I just don't know how you can count on anything at this point, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Number 50 on our top 50 players for 2018. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's unfortunate with him that he's had all the injuries that have kind of happened to him. So, I mean, if he plays at all in any rotation form, it's, you know, it's going to be a bonus, not just to Ohio State, but to him that he at least gets a chance to play a little bit in his final season. Great guy, good player, bad luck. By the way, I want to go back to the IHOB thing for a second. UMBC's Twitter account, which I think was the real MVP of the NCAA tournament, tweeted just a few minutes ago, no, we are not changing our name to the University of Maryland Burger College. Nice. They should. So everyone's just going after IHOP now. Yeah. Yes, they're. I'm waiting just to see just every company go after them. I'm. I have to check to see if Wendy's has said anything yet. Wendy's is pretty snarky. Wendy's is savage on Twitter. They're as savage as like any other like fast food company. Sam Stetcher uh, sent an email that says best ice cream in Ohio. Graders, Jenny's, Mitchell's, other. You guys have uh, ice cream takes. I like Jenny's. I I've had Jenny's. I've had Mitchell's. I've had a milkshake from Graders. I had a chocolate milkshake from Graders not that long ago. Might have been the best milkshake we ever had. Really? It was really good. Um, but I think Jenny's, uh, what the, it's called uh, salted salted peanut butter with chocolate flex mm. is the best ice cream I've ever had. Really? Yeah. Expensive. Pricey, but I think worth it. Mitchell's is very similar to Jenny's. It's in, I know it's in, I've had it in Cleveland. I don't know if it's anywhere outside of Cleveland. Um, but yeah, I like, I like Jenny's. Yeah. I think Mitchell's is almost exclusive to Cleveland. So, you know, Cleveland listeners are always going to have a much different opinion of it than most of us. I, I have had Mitchell's in the past before I moved down here to Columbus. I thought it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. You guys go to Wits ever? I have had Wits. I wasn't a fan. Really? I thought it was just okay. I've honestly never heard of it. I'm <laughs> guessing it's a Columbus area place. Uh, it's all over Ohio. It's, uh, but it's like uh, soft serve. Mm-hmm. And they have, like, different stuff you mix in. Um, the one thing about Graders, I like Graders, but I think their chocolate chips are overwhelming at times. And they're not chi- – I mean, they're, like, giant chunks of chocolate. And most things – I think the whole thing there, right, is that almost everything has giant flecks of chocolate in it. And I actually like the flavors that they do when they don't have the chips in it. Although I yeah. do think the coconut chip is good, but I think the chocolate, I think the chips can be overwhelming sometimes. And I think it's dark chocolate. Is it not? That's the chocolate in there? I love dark chocolate. I don't know that it's not. And I apologize if I'm speaking out of turn about the chocolate. But um, it's sort of like, hey, we give you big chunks of chocolate. It's like sometimes I don't want big chunks of chocolate in my ice cream. So sometimes I'm not in the mood for graters. But I also think there needs to be a distinction. I don't think it's fair to compare a place like a fancy ice cream place where a scoop is like whatever 450 yeah. versus like a kind of normal ice cream place where a scoop is like 225 is graders a normal place i think graders is normal okay i think graders i would i would lump in with like dairy queen and like sort of normal hey let's go get ice cream jenny's i mean in my house you don't just go get jenny's ice cream oh we That's like a, house. Uh, it's like a special occasion I used to live in, in short north in Columbus and like could walk to Jenny's. It was like 10 steps. 
Now I have to drive there, so I don't I don't have it nearly as often. But there were oh the yeah, summer, you really were like ten. The steps. summer I lived in Short North, I was probably at Jenny's once a week. Nice, but not once a day. No. Yeah. No. That's a lot of money on ice cream. They used to have a really good sandwich. It was like it was a chocolate truffle cookie with like butter mint ice cream. It tastes a little bit like a thin mint. Great. Nice. Great. Jacob Diefenthaler. Sorry if I pronounced your last name wrong. Uh, had a two-part question. He said, first, what happened to Trey Knox? Uh, Trey Knox, four-star wide receiver in the 2019 recruiting class uh, from the same high school as Master Teague, um, who at a time, like last summer, he was camping at Ohio State. I think people thought last year that he was going to commit to Ohio State, and he didn't do it. And I think there was a time where he was, if not the number one receiver on their board, like close to it and a guy they really liked. And I think it's just a matter of guys don't really develop maybe the way you think they will or, or – other guys you also had on your board developed a little better, so I just think he sort of fell behind some other guys, and I don't think he'll end up being in Ohio State's class. Not impossible, but he went from like kind of a lock, I think, in some people's minds, to a guy who I think will probably get left out because they just like some other receivers more than they like Trey Knox. Second part of his question. Over the next 10 years, is Penn State or Michigan State going to be more of a rivalry? This is... Wait, what? Okay, sorry. In the next 10 years, is Penn State or Michigan State going to be more of a rivalry? And he says, Urban, Harbaugh, Franklin, D'Antonio, which coach leaves their current school first? Wow, that's great questions. Um, I think over the next 10 years, Penn State will definitely be more of a rival than Michigan State. Agreed. Um, I, think, I think we've seen the best of what Michigan State yeah, can be. Yeah. And I think if Harbaugh gets it going with any sustained success, it's going to be harder for Michigan State to play at the level it's been at basically the whole D'Antonio era. Um, all the credit to Mark D'Antonio. They got to the freaking playoff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's and they've beaten or he's beaten Urban Meyer in like two gigantic games, which like nobody else can claim. So all the credit in the world to Michigan State, but I think we've seen the best of Michigan State. I think the best of Penn State is yet to come. As good as Penn State has been the past, past couple of years, I think Penn State is going to be a team that's eventually going to make some noise in the playoff and is going to become more of a rival. I mean, they are a rival with Ohio State, but I think yeah. they can sustain it. Second part. Sorry, go ahead, Tim. I was going to say to answer the second part of the question. I know you're just who's yeah. going to stay longer. I think it's Harbaugh almost by default because no, I know who's going to leave first. Oh, well, okay, who's going to leave first? Harbaugh. I think almost by default because I can't imagine with James with James Franklin turning Penn State into what I think it can be, which is a program that's going to be just below Ohio State's level and contending, possibly contending for playoff spots year after year. I don't think he leaves anytime soon. And and D'Antonio, I don't know if he wants to leave East Lansing anytime soon, the way he's got that program going, where every once in a while they're going to be a challenger to to sneak up on everybody and get out of the Big Ten East again. Yeah, I think there's there's layers to that. Um, I just don't think James Franklin is an NFL coach. So, and I don't know why he would leave Penn State. I don't know where he's from, Pennsylvania, so I don't know there's another job that they can get him to leave. Um, We talked about Urban. Harbaugh, I think I could very well see going to the NFL, given the opportunity again. I also think like the Michigan State athletic program could completely explode and all their coaches are gone and Mark D'Antonio could be, could not be there. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think maybe, I think maybe Harbaugh just because of the obvious NFL thing, but short of Harbaugh leaving for the NFL, it's just a matter of like who might retire first. And I think the answer to that might be urban. Uh, yeah, I think that, I think that 
might be true. I don't. How, D'Antonio, how old is D'Antonio? D'Antonio is several years older than Urban, though. I think. D'Antonio is sixty-two. He just turned sixty-two in March. And Urban's coming up on what? Fifty-five. Fifty-four. Fifty-four. He's gonna be fifty-four. His birthday's he's, July. I he's think. fifty-three right okay. now. Okay. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So so I mean D'Antonio's sixty-two. So yeah, I, I think. I think Harbaugh NFL makes sense. I think D'Antonio probably would retire before Urban, but I just I also I, think D'Antonio could like coach until he's in the grave. Yeah, I think that's possible. And Urban, I don't think will. I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. Find questions. Oh, <laughs> to make the people angry who uh, or pe- make the people upset who get angry when we go on tangents about weird things. Um, and I'm going to butcher this name. Degesh Kinney sent in sent in an email. He says, "Of all the players and coaches uh, on Ohio State's roster, who would you guys pick as your top three to help you survive the zombie apocalypse?" Oh, <laughs> sure, I feel like we should turn off. Should yeah. we stop recording while we think about this for two minutes? All right, I want survive. someone crazy. Who's the craziest person in that building? The craziest person well, in the building. Until he had left, I would have said Kerry Combs. Yeah, I would want Kerry yeah, Combs. Yeah, I would want Kerry yeah. Combs. I think Tabor Johnson is in that yeah. zone. Um, I want a good combination of psycho, psychotic and resourceful. Right. I feel like Ryan Day would be extremely resourceful. He's the guy that'll sit back and really map out a good plan. But I think he could overthink it. He might be too smart for his own good. I think that's possible. Yeah. I think that's possible. Boy, how about uh, maybe Michael Jordan? I think Michael Jordan is smart, but is also a butt kicker. Yeah. I'd take Michael yeah. Jordan. What about Nick Bosa? You know who I have as a... I don't... I don't know about Nick Bosa. No offense to Nick Bosa. I just don't know if it's in a, in a zombie apocalypse, um, if that's who I'd pick. I would pick uh, Kendall Sheffield. Who was just listed as the fastest player in college football, and then I could just hop on his back, and he can run me away from yeah. the zombies. Yeah, he's going to run you. He's going to hop on his back. Um, Paris, send Paris Campbell out to get supplies, since he's the fastest guy. Yeah, give me speed. You know who I think I would pick for sure again, again is Ryan Stamper. Oh, yeah. Who's yeah. their guy who, like, takes care of everything. Who, like, Ryan, he's a former player, so he's, like, in good shape, buff, um, smart. Like is trustworthy, is trusted with a lot of stuff by Urban, relates to the players. I think he'd be a good uh, uh, a good leader. If we're, if you're listening, Ryan Stamper, that's high praise that we would uh, want you on our side in the zombie apocalypse. What other players? Like I think I would have said Billy Price. I'm trying to think like who else are like the like older. I mean I I understand crazy, but I just want like I would also be very much on like reliable smart guys. Yeah. Well, you get think, three, like a like a balance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't know if you could pick any of the senior receivers because then you have to take the whole group together. That's true. Yeah, you can't have three. Draymond Jones might be good. Yeah. I like Robert Landers would be good, I yeah. think. He'd be great. Yeah. Robert Landers would be fun, too. Even if the zombies, like, ate you, you'd have a good time with Robert Landers while yeah. they were I'm trying, consuming your brains. I'm trying to picture the cast of Dawn of the, Dawn of the Dead, the 2004 movie, and trying to put Ohio State players and coaches into, that, into those roles. Yeah, that's when we really get desperate for summer content we'll do that um i don't know it's a, it's a good it's a good one it's a good question well it depends if yeah. it's actually it's not a good question it's kind of a weird question 
It's fun, but it's also impossible. Well, it depends if you're talking like Dawn of the Dead zombie apocalypse or zombie land zombie apocalypse, because those are two completely different things. And now we're in a zombie hole that I don't really understand. Yeah, Drew Christman couldn't strap them with a bottle of There you go. <laughs> um, let's see, we got a question. This will be the last email question, and there's no name. It's just the email. It's M.T. Hopewell. Uh, he said, can you shed some light on how things are going for the team uh, right now, or from now until fall practice? He says, is it just school? Is there anything organized? Can coaches be involved with the players? Do players stay in Columbus, or do they go home? Um, so right now, the rules are you get eight hours per week. And that's new. Like, the coaches can be with you for those eight hours. They used to not be able to. That's why they always used to say, like, what, do you want an update on the team in the summer? Like, ask the strength coach. Because technically, the head coach and the assistants weren't allowed to be with them. They're allowed now for eight hours a week. Two of those hours can be meeting time and film study. Um, but it's mostly strength training, and they do, like, team runs and stuff like that. And they're into that stuff now. If you look at it on Twitter, you can see some of that stuff. Um, they're in school. Uh, they... Moved in last week. I think the, the the summer session that they're in, I think, started last Tuesday or last Wednesday. So they're in class right now. Um, and it's kind of that up and up through August. I think they get a little bit of time away from home uh, before camp starts. But they're, they're here in Columbus. The whole team is here. A lot of guys, I think, end up staying here. There's not that much time between the end of the spring semester and when all the freshmen and stuff start. It's like three weeks. Um, so some you'll see, like, some guys – We'll go, like, if they're from Florida, they'll go back home from Florida for a few days. But I do think a lot of them end up staying in Columbus and doing workouts around here. So it's a little split. But um, in terms of organized stuff, they are together. They are doing training. I think there's rules on, like, you can't have a football or like, the coaches can't be out on the field when you have a football. But, like, Dwayne Haskins, I'm sure, is getting throwing sessions in at night with the receivers. Um, yeah, so I think they covered it. Yeah, I was there on Friday. They already have, like, Sort of the zone six catch board, like 10,000 catches, where they list all the receivers out there. Someone wrote next to KJ Hill's name, Shrimp. Shrimp? Shrimp? I think someone was just messing with people. I just saw, like, Shrimp nice. next to KJ Hill's name. I thought, I was, coming, cracked me up a little bit. The, uh, nobody, I mean, but, like, nobody goes home anymore. Like, the idea of, like, nobody goes home for yeah. the summer. Like, yeah, yeah. You, you have to be here. And then it's like, you might take a little break and, like, get to run home. But, yeah, it's just funny. I mean, it's just like, I think m most fans know that, but, but it's just like it's a 365 day a year job, yeah. And and as Bill said, it's new rules with what the coaches can do. But you were expected to be here and working out with the strength coaches, and then doing seven on seven stuff on your own. Like you don't get to go home. You don't get to like go to the go on a two week European trip with your family, whatever. Like this is your job. Yeah. This is your unpaid job, and you work it. 365 days a year and you might get little breaks here and there but you are here all year last question josh curry asked uh to me uh he says bill being from philadelphia are there any good cheesesteak places in ohio no <laughs> penn station has pen in the name it's a uh, it's like a penn station's in new york yeah. oh oh yeah which i find confusing yeah yeah no there's not yeah it's because of the bread. Because of the bread. Yeah. I mean, I think you, I do, would. You, do you eat cheesesteaks in Ohio, though, or do you just not eat them? No, I've had I've had one from the Bellows a couple times. It's not the worst thing I've had. It's like, it's not bad. It's just not the same. It's not as good, but but sometimes you want a steak sandwich. So yeah, yeah, so I yeah. guess it's one of those things. Yeah. It's like if you're from Philly, do you just say I'm not eating a steak sandwich outside Philadelphia, or is it like, well, this isn't close to as good, but it, it's still in general an enjoyable food thing. 
No, I don't. I don't swear them off totally because I'm not in Philadelphia. I do not like when they put Philly cheesesteak on the menu because mm. it's not right because we're in Ohio. Right. Um. But no, I think yeah, like the Bellas, I think is passable. Um. Trying to, th- I think I've had one from Penn. No, I haven't had one from Penn Station. Um, steak Escape, you big Steak Escape guy? No, somebody told me like Charlie's is good. Yeah. I've never, I've never I mean, had Charlie's that. is okay. They they're solid. I think. I mean, to chop up meat and put it in a roll. I mean, like it's, it's not, not a difficult thing to make. It's yeah. just, it's just the roll. Yeah, and it's hard to get a good one. I think. Here. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what you should do. Is you should get rolls from Philly and keep them in your freezer, and then just go buy. The there steak. is. I, I have not been there yet. But there's a place near near Nationwide Arena, and I don't even remember what it's called. But I do think they get rolls shipped in from Philly. Nice. So I. Ashamed to say, I haven't gone there yet. Nice. If you want, you could send me on an expedition, and I can give you my non-Philly based opinion. Have you have you had you have had a Philly cheesesteak in Philadelphia ever? Have you? Uh, I when I went to the Army Navy game in 2015, this is close that I probably got was like a they had like a Tony Luke's at Lincoln Financial. Okay. Not bad. I'm a good time. Yeah. Um, you went and had good pizza in Ohio. I went and had decent pizza in Ohio. I went and had what I would consider average pizza from the East Coast in yeah. Ohio, which has been difficult for me to find here. It was in Yellow Springs. It was a place called Ha Ha Pizza. And I actually, what, what what told me it was good is that we had to get it on wheat crust because that's all they had. Yellow Springs had like a giant street fair going on. We didn't know that when we went there. It was a zoo. There were so many people there. We had to park like three miles away and walk, walk into town. Um, but they like ran out of white dough. So we had to have it on wheat and it was still good. Okay. So that told me, like, it, I just like projected to what it would taste like on normal pizza dough. Like I've seen pictures of the normal pizza dough. And it was very much like the kind of pizza that I'm into. Triangle cut, a little greasy. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was good. Did you go there for the pizza or were you there for other reasons? No, we went there for the pizza. We went there for the pizza and to go to the brewery. Okay. Yeah. How far is it from Columbus? Like 50-something minutes. You're 50 under, minutes for pizza? Just under an hour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, it's like a cool town. It's like an artsy kind of town. Dave Chappelle lives there. Huh. Did uh, you see him? No. Hmm. Could we get him on the podcast, do you think? Maybe. All right, next podcast, we'll be eating pizza in Yellow Springs, Ohio with Dave Chappelle, guaranteed. Uh, is that it? Do we have anything else? That's it. We, yeah, if there's more questions, we'll get, we'll get to them next week. So, yeah. So, this week, we get, yeah. We'll, we'll try to stay three weeks behind on our questions. So, we got <laughs> rid of the ones from three weeks ago. So, next week, it'll be the ones from two weeks ago. Now, we'll be three weeks ago then. All right. Um, follow us on Twitter, at Tim Bielek, at Doug Lee Maurice, at Bill Landis 25 Read our stuff at cleveland.com slash OSU. Uh, make sure you get subscribed to wherever you listen to podcasts. It's just the best way to get this. If you're listening to this, you know how to get it. But tell your friends and make sure you never miss a Buckeye talk. What do we have? Uh, you guys have any stories coming up for people to uh, be ready for? We got the top fifty countdown. We got the top going fifty on. countdown going on right now. Uh, we're going to start, and I guess by the time you listen to this on Wednesday, but we may have already started it. Our schedule breakdown. I think the plan is we'll do two a week leading up to the week of Big Ten Media Day, which is the 23rd of July. Um, that's what we'll, we'll give you a breakdown of the opponent, but also give you like what percentage chance we think Ohio State has of winning that game, culminating in the percentage chance we think Ohio State has of going undefeated next year. So that's going to start this week. Okay. That'll be good. And there's some recruiting staff. There's a recruiting camp this week, Tim. Is that right? Yeah. There's recruiting camp on Tuesday and Saturday. And Saturday. Yeah. I'll be there on Tuesday. Um We'll figure out who's going to be there on Saturday. But, yeah, that's there also. There'll be some kids coming. It's always, like, beforehand, it's kind of hard to get a grasp on who exactly is going to be there. But then, like, you'll show up. Like, Tim went to the camp the other day, and Harry Miller was there. And no one expected him to be there. Okay. Um, and then he, he announced his coming the day or two days later. 
So, yeah, I'll be there on Tuesday, and there's another one on Saturday. All right. So, again, we, re- we recorded this on Monday, and then we have stuff coming this week. But, uh, again, we'll continue with the Wednesday Buckeye Talks. Um, someone had the – we were asking, like, if we should break it up or not. We haven't had a bigger discussion about that, I guess. But I know someone was – it. someone suggested, like, you guys do a recruiting one on Monday. Yeah. We do a football one on Wednesday, and we do food and robots on Friday. And it's like, we're not doing three podcasts a week. That I can guarantee. Um, so we'll figure out what we do in the season. But for now, every Wednesday, stick to Buckeye Talk. Thanks to you guys for listening. We're glad we finally got to the JT Braxton question this week. Keep your questions coming. You can always email them um, during the week to, what is it? What's the email? BuckeyeTalkPod at gmail.com. And you can tweet us during the week at BuckeyeTalkPod. Uh, and you can just tweet us individually, or you can just uh, you can drop the five star reviews. Are we still an overall five star? Yes. Yes. Okay, you can also that. mail things to Tim. Tim, what's your address? Yeah. <laughs> or just go knock on his door. Yep. That's fine too. Um, all right. Thanks to you guys for listening. For Bill and Tim, I'm Doug, and that was Buckeye Talk.